0: Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King. Welcome to another very special edition of the Guest the Lions Unicoin Challenge podcast. We have just finished the third quarterfinal series uh, between Fnatic and Edward Gaming. And we said yesterday that we thought it was going to be a very interesting series and a very close series. And I'm joined by my good friend, Walter Fetchuk. Walter, is it safe to say one of those two things was true?
1: I would say a number of those things were true. Well, I
0: only named two things.
1: So. <laughs> I would say both of them are true. Yeah, it, it was interesting and it was entertaining. I said close. Oh, oh no, oh, oh no, Col- not, close it was, was not particularly close. Was, close. No, <laughs> close was not not no. It was not even close. I'm sorry, I, I misheard what you said. It
0: is. That's okay because you know what? I think we've all been a little bit confused after the results of this game, and <laughs> in, in the best of all possible ways, really. I'm very excited. By the idea of, you know, Fnatic 3 0 this, you know, supposedly stellar Chinese team.
1: Yeah, the second best team in the world coming into this. Arguably the the other finalist, com- you know, next to SKT. The, the uh, team
0: that untoppled SKT at MSI. I mean, this, yeah. this team had clout. Now, I guess when you have a three zero, you kind of have to look at it in both directions. Before we go into the individual games, do you feel like Fnatic won this series more? Do you feel like this was EDG losing the series more?
1: I I, I have to go. I have to say that it was it was absolutely both. Mm-hmm. Like EDG totally, you know, the bad in this series just absolutely mm-hmm. was awful. And if it wasn't for the fact that other junglers weren't. Oh like other junglers are underperforming. I think you could come out of world saying, "Okay, maybe Clearlove isn't the best jungler in the world." Cuz he looked horrible. I, I don't watch as much of the LPL as I watch of LCK or the LCS, but I came into this and, and the the few games that I watched towards the end of the LPL season expecting Clearlove to be this team fight dominant jungler where yeah, you know, he can get ahead and if he gets ahead, watch out because it just snowballs him excessively. But in this meta where it's completely reliant on the team, there is very there's there's almost no ability for one single player to carry an entire team. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible unless you build a crazy, you know, Oriana Lulu, Jana you- you know, with a Kogma or a Jinx or something like that. It's nearly impossible for one player to play the game. And I thought that that would fit right into Clearlove's playstyle and, and, and Pawn's playstyle. The only problem with EDG is besides Deft, they don't have anyone that can carry on this team. There is no one on this team that has an innate ability to carry. Argue pawn is amazing. Argue amazing Jay is amazing. Whatever they didn't show it. They showed that they were that they were trying to be these team fight supportive utility style players, not you know I'm going to one v one Faker and I'm going to get you know first blood. And that's I think the difference here.
0: Well, and that's the difference between the Edward Gaming that we saw you know throughout most of the season and the Edward Gaming we saw really stumble in the Chinese Summer Playoffs. Like the reason they had to play in regionals. Was because they went from, you know, never losing a best of two series throughout the entire Chinese regular season, which given how good these Chinese teams were in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and by the way, people at home who only watch Worlds, I can assure you as someone who watched China consistently, they were really, really good throughout the regular season. Th- that was an incredible feat. And then they got to this 5-15 patch. And they just never seem to adjust. It, it seemed to shift away from the kind of champions that Pawn feels great about. I mean, his Azir is great, but you almost never give him the Azir because of that. And outside of that, he never really found his place. Mm-hmm. You look at, you know, Koro, obviously, you know, the injury, not practicing. I think that showed here. I think a lot of him looking as underwhelming as he was for, for you know, in, a, in a, the nicest way I can put it is the fact that he wasn't playing scrims for them for almost two months now. He's still recovering from a back injury. There are a lot of... That's really hard to do. Now, you gave him the the go-ahead because you think Amazing Jay is worse, but neither one of these options were ideal at this point. And the fact of the matter is Clearlove is the best jungler in the world when he is able to either supplement his team or hard carry this counter-jungle style. He couldn't counter-jungle in this meta because... There's just too many. There, there's too many things going on. There are too many roams. Too many. It's it's just really impossible to focus on a pure counter jungle strat because chances are the enemy jungler is ganking your lane and then trying to take some of your jungle camps anyway. Yeah. And then you look at okay, so then he has to supplement the rest of his team. Well, the rest of his team is behind. Yeah. And, and Mako and and Deft. I mean, they did their best. I, I think. I guess we move into game one here. I don't think Jace was the way I would go for Deft. Is that what? The, I mean, we saw a Jace Kenan carry matchup. We, I loved, I loved the idea. Mm-hmm.
1: I really, truly loved the idea of this composition. Um, be, before we we get into the actual games, though, I'd like to I'd like to touch on Fnatic just for a minute. Oh, please. Fnatic did the one thing yesterday that I said they had to do. Mm-hmm. They had to keep all three of their carries on playmaking champions. Mm-hmm. I understand, you know. Kennen is not this crazy it's not vain where he's 1v1 ing and going crazy fine whatever but he's in the position that he can make plays on Kennen using the ultimate using the e using the stuns you know using all the utility that's in that kit Fibiven played three different champions three you know three different styles the, the control mage of Victor the siege style of azir and then this assassin burst mage of, of LeBlanc and again, was in the position to make plays at every single second of the game. And then Huni, as bad as an early game he played in game one, the mistakes that he tends to make seem to disappear throughout the rest of the series. There wasn't any time that I thought that he was, you know, egregiously out of position with no wards. I thought he played tremendously. And again, they kept all their players in, 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 in ways of... Uh, it, they gave all their players the tools to make plays. And I don't think EDG did that. I, I think putting pawn on Vegar and... Cast it in was probably a huge mistake. But game one, um, the Jace in and of itself, they wanted to try this triple teleport strategy and unless they were going to play Kennen, I don't think there's anyone else that they could have played to use a teleport other than Jace. I don't mm-hmm. think you can play a traditional AD carry with teleport at all.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's it's a really interesting idea, right, as you just go all in on these this, this super global composition and you just try to, you know, to have this coordination, constantly have these fights across the map and just let that carry the day for you. But the problem with those kinds of compositions is it requires perfect execution. It requires mm-hmm. communication amongst all of your teammates and making sure that everyone is on the same page all of the time. You yes. know what EDG wasn't doing for, for most of this game? Uh, constantly communicating well and, and making sure that everyone is on the same page at the same time. It was really, you know, Deft and Mako were doing their thing. You know, you had, you know, the, from the Twisted Fate and the cast, and it, it seemed like Pawn's like, well, I'm just going to, you know, have my mobility and roam around and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Koro was just on a different page than the rest of this team. And, and maybe that's something that, you know, if you're Aaron and you're the, you're the coach of this team, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, we're trying to fix Koro in because we know he's the best player, but he hasn't really been practicing. And we've got all these language barriers that are naturally a part of you know, this Korean and Chinese comp. So let's just tell these guys to play their own game. But you can't do that against Fnatic. (laughs) They're too well-coordinated. They're too well-organized. And to be honest, you know, this was, you know, this game one was the one game where EDG did what I thought they had the potential to do, which is they won the early game because they were able to use these teleports and they were able to get these fights. But it didn't matter because the second that it came down to an actual team fight and it was (laughs) about working as a unit, they got destroyed. And it gave Fnatic that first Baron, and Fnatic just never looked back. Mm-hmm. I, if you're, I mean, what, is there anything about this game that really stands out as something that you, that you saw that kind of let you know where the series was going from there? You know, the fact that even,
1: even despite playing against this very oddball style, Fnatic's played their game. Mm-hmm. And their game is team fight, you know, skirmish, pick. And they found their one fight, and they won that fight, and they snowballed that into a victory. Granted, there there was still the the threat of instead of chasing uh, instead of chasing Fabivan's Victor, you know, halfway down the lane, they could have just sent Jace and uh, twisted. Uh, uh, Jason Fiora into the base mm-hmm. with a super minion wave that just hit the outside of the base and maybe take one to, one or two nexus towers and now Fnatic is kind of stuck inside their base and that allows EDG to take control over the map but they didn't they decided the kill was was worth more or I, I understand adrenaline in the heat of the moment you're not thinking that far ahead and it's very easy as a casual observer to look at that and go why aren't they teleporting bot why aren't they teleporting bot Fnatic thought they were going to teleport bot Fnatic was pinging that. That clump of minions going, they're gonna go here. They're gonna go here, and no one showed up. So I, I think Fnatic got lucky in that way, mm-hmm. but Fnatic played their game. They didn't fall into this this trap that uh, this this trap of a game that EDG was trying to play. This very heavy like siege style uh, rotational play.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I think that was the moment where I looked at this and said, Fnatic is winning this series. It's now just down to a number of games mm-hmm. because. That's a play, you know, you can say, like, yeah, it's easy as a casual observer, but if you're supposed to be one of the best eight teams in the world, you're supposed to be the best team from your region in My China. The five teams in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, at this point, like, you're, EDG, you know, they won MSI for, for yeah. just a bit there. They had the, you know, honorary title of best team in world. <laughs> you have to know to make that play. I mean, you know, Jad was looking at after the game. There were a few casters that were tweeting about it. Yeah, we watched the replay. They guaranteed win that game if they just make that teleport right away. They act fast enough, there was nothing they could do. The death timers were too long. The inhibitor was already exposed. They just win. And they didn't do it. And they didn't do it because they weren't thinking as a unit. They weren't planning ahead. They weren't making the decisions that they needed to make. And it cost them. And it cost them over and over in this series. And it just really got worse and worse from there. Game 2, and I I guess we even want to... You you didn't really see the first game too, because there are no VODs of that anymore. And no, why? yeah, I didn't. I didn't. There's no reason to. Uh, I will say I found it kind of interesting that EDG prioritized the Mordekaiser over the Gangplank because they assumed that Huni would play the Gangplank and also that Huni couldn't play Gangplank very well. And both of those things were true, and EDG was still losing when the remake had to come in. That's just mm. that to me was the perfect example of well this is not going to go edg's way and and then we have the actual game too once uh once everything was fixed up mm-hmm. and you put you put forbidden on leblanc and just magical things start happening where do you rank that forbidden game on the kind of the pantheon of games that we've seen from him and from even just european performers on this kind of world stage Holy moly! I Fibivin, I I really
1: hope we get an SKT fanatic World Finals. Mm. Like I really hope we do. I, I mean there there's any any storyline that we get going into the World Finals is going to be phenomenal. Or you know Orion taking up the the the, uh, the Cinderella mantle <laughs> here, and you know having knocked off you know SKT, having get gotten out of the group that included KT and at LGD, that would just be a, a phenomenal storyline in and of, of itself. Mm-hmm. SKT, obviously, Faker and Bengi, two-time world champion, mm-hmm. you know, Potentially two-time world champions, arguably the best team in the world. Mm-hmm. Fnatic on their home turf. Again, an underdog kind of story where you know, three of these players were consi- were rookies mm-hmm. at the beginning of the split. And one was a mediocre jungler that no one in Korea wanted. And come together and do this, and then KT and KU are obviously, you know, have their own own separate storylines that we'll get to see them play out more tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of all the possible combinations, I want Fnatic versus SKT because I want Fnatic to prove, like they did at MSI, that Europe is no is no more of a laughing matter. That Europe really needs to be taken seriously uh, as a region. That they are the closest to Korea in terms of the organizational. Uh, structure and and the organizational firepower behind uh, what really makes great players great uh, i i was someone was writing an article about how uh, north america is is building their teams wrong I, I believe i don't remember who it was honestly it could have been one of two people but basically was saying like how come how come fanatic went and got this this you know bench player from Samsung mm-hmm. over you know, over Acorn, over Flame, over any of these people, and they're like, yeah, maybe money was an issue, but they developed him into this all-star player, mm-hmm. this guy who's arguing I we need to see him against uh against Kate against Someday or, or Maren again, but arguing for I might be the best top laner in the world right now. Whoa.
0: Okay. I, I I'm
1: going I'm going a little far. I'm not saying he is. I'm saying that Someday and Marin are definitely above him right now but if he plays against one of them in the fi- if he plays against skt and and crushes Marin or goes very or you know they beat skt and he does very well against Marin and then gets into the finals and plays against someday and does very well against them it's not just is it someday or Marin is the best top laner in the world all of a sudden you have to add Hooney into it and he came from relatively nowhere yeah I, I I'm, I'm I'm not saying he is. Trust me.
0: No. I, I I think Marin's the best top player in the world. Okay, but so has and I has a chance. Year, which is beautiful. But uh, but yeah, Hooney – I will say this: I, Hooney's definitively top five in the world for me. I, I hmm. think without question. The question yeah. is where in the top five, and for a guy that is literally in his rookie season, and this is why you know people they look at Niels and Origin and they like, yeah, well, you know, the best rookie that we've seen at this kind of stage. It's a very weird definition of rookie because I'm used to a rookie being you know a whole season, mm-hmm. and and to me, Huni is by far the best rookie at this tournament. Niels is good. Niels is very good, but what Huni was able to do in Game Three specifically, mm-hmm. um, some of the, some of the kills he had on uh, on that ribbon in both games two and three, but especially Game Three were just mm-hmm. out of this world. And mm-hmm. you know when you look at you know, EDG probably put up a better fight, you would say, in Game Three than Game Two, but it never felt out of hand. It always felt like, even when EDG was, you know, was ahead in kills, it was like eight to four in kills. You were just like, okay, one of these fights, Huni's going to do something incredible, Vivin's going to lock this down, and it's going to be game, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I
1: mean, I, I would, I would completely agree. I, I, I none of these games felt as as close as some points in them would indicate. Mm-hmm. I I personally don't. I personally don't think game three was that close either. I don't think it was any closer than game two at any point.
0: Yeah, it's it, which is weird to say because at one point they were pretty much even in gold, and and it didn't matter. Like it never the, felt like EDG was making the proactive plays. The only time yeah. they ever really were able to make up ground is when Fnatic overextended. And that's something we've talked about with Fnatic before about how, mm-hmm. you know, they struggled in the group stage. The two losses they have are almost, you know, kind of, you know, thrown away. as like, oh, it was hubris. They got it full of themselves after day one and mm-hmm. and then let this stuff get to their head, which is a problem and that's a concern. But at this point of the tournament, they know you win or you go home. Hubris isn't a problem anymore because they're playing the best of the best at this point. Yeah. And I I don't know, man. I just... It, it it was amazing to me that any time Fnatic wanted to fight against an EDG team that even in struggling games we saw with had great capabilities of picking fights, of making mm-hmm. you fight them on their turf and turning games around off those fights, and Fnatic never gave them that opportunity. Yeah. It never I, happened. I, I would say
1: game one they were try game one EDG was trying to play this crazy siege, you know, split push composition. Fine, that's awesome. That that's really cool. It was really fun. Game two, exact same thing. Zone control with the Vigar on the rec side have, and Morgana. Have Caitlyn siege down towers. Have Fiora split push. Again, just didn't work. Uh, you know, Fabiven got the crazy triple kill in, in the bot lane, which was fantastic. I I remember joking to you on Skype like, "Where's his Magi's?" Like any other any other mid laner on a, a LeBlanc gets like you know four and zero five and zero they're buying a gis, and they're just going right for the throat and it, it, tremendous restraint from him, um, just probably didn't want to screw it up. And then game three was like EDG saying okay we can't play Siege anymore let's just try and play a team fight comp and try and out team fight and out skirmish Fnatic, which wasn't going to happen. I I don't EG looked terrible. And, as a whole, China looked terrible, and I feel very sorry for all the people who uh, who thought China was going to do extremely well and who who lauded China and who are getting just destroyed on social media they don 't deserve it um, but it 's kind of telling that China spent all this money in the off season to get all these Korean players to come over, and none of their teams made it to made it past. Uh, quarterfinals, and well, two of them didn't even make it to quarterfinals.
0: Right, and, and that's the thing, I, I think you're correct in taking it as a, as a two-pronged thing. On the one hand, I, you know, I was one of the people that thought China was going to be, you know, I thought that the four teams that were really going to be able to compete were SKT and the three Chinese teams. That's how yeah. good China looked yeah. consistently throughout the regular season. And we saw, you know, this is the funny thing, right? As soon as Invictus and LGD were eliminated, mm-hmm. they played significantly better. LGD week two, if they play that way all six games, they get out of that group. I don't know, you know, obviously everything else, there are variables that change. But the way LGD was playing in that second week, you know, as soon as they knew they were eliminated, they get out. They were that Mm -hmm. good the entire time, and they just didn't show it. And Mm -hmm. Invictus was as good as they looked in that Cloud9 game, and they just didn't show it. And at the end of the day, you look at Edward Gaming. And you know a lot of it, you know, as people would point out, it was this overconfidence. It was this idea that we are so talented, this will not happen to us. We don't get 3-0'd mm-hmm. so we can make this fight because it's going to work out for us because we are this good of a team and these fights always work for us. And when you get in that mindset, it's almost as poisonous, maybe even more poisonous than the mindset of, oh, we can't win, which we've seen take away you know, North American teams or other lesser Mm -hmm. regions in matchups before. It, I mean, this was, this was rough. And anyone who picked China, all of the statistics, everything else, backed that decision up. They looked great. Just objectively, great play from an entire mm-hmm. region. The things that were proven to be problems, you know, people can say now, you know, look back and say, oh, well, now we see all these huge flaws. Why weren't people talking about it earlier? Because we hadn't seen the flaws yet. That's why. Correct. Because it is impossible to look into the future. And outcome outcomes are dependent, uh, are independent, I should say, upon what we are predicting from. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, anything can happen at any time. And Unfortunately, there were some factors in the Chinese scene, you know, as far as how they took scrims, how they, you know, how they practiced, how they worked together as a unit, all you know, the coordination. We've heard all these stories now, yeah, um, and, and most of them, by the way, coming from the Chinese analysts that are getting you know a lot of crap on on Twitter and social media, you know, they're the ones that are being the toughest on their region, which is the funniest part of all of this: is that people are attacking them like they were steered wrong by. People who were making accurate predictions based on, you know, the information we had at the time. But right. those are the people that are most disappointed by this. You think the people on China Talk are happy that their region just got destroyed? I I, I tweeted out the the Kelsey Moser. Hey, who feels like drinking tonight? Like that's that's not great. Like I that sucks. I've I've had my favorite teams lose. It's a terrible feeling. You didn't feel great when TSM lost. No one in North America was feeling happy that analysts were proven right or wrong because their region was terrible. Oh, I'm I'm
1: I'm I'm tremendously glad that North America lost. Okay, that's, I'm that's I'm, I'm actually ecstatic North America lost, but I just don't think anything good is going to come out of it. Well, I and that's the I, I'll talk about that towards the end when we're when we're done previewing this and just give a few little points. But yeah, sure.
0: I, I will say this for China, uh, they learned a lesson at this tournament. Yep. Whether they actually apply it or not is up to them. You know, Chinese culture is a general rule within these esports. It, it's accumulate as much talent as possible and just go win. I, I, You know, there there is a concern that their answer is going to be, oh, we just picked up the wrong talent, mm-hmm. which, you know, would have some significant drawbacks going forward. But this is the opportunity to look at the system, realize that what's broken is not the players, but in the way that they set up everything around those players, and go fix it. And we're now it's time to see if they do. It is yeah. uh, it, it is as unfortunate that China performed this badly as it is that as it is fortunate that Europe performed this well. Yeah. Uh, and and honestly, agree. this world is just it's taught us all the right lessons. LMS got better because they put themselves in a better region and separated themselves from the GPL. That is a great lesson to learn as far as how regions get set up and how, how much infrastructure and having proper scrim partners and, and playing against the best opponents you can benefits your team. You mm-hmm. know, China lost. Shows the money isn't everything. North America lost. Same lesson. These are things that I think can make the League of Legends scene, and esports in general, much better if these teams take it to heart. And now we have a very interesting offseason uh, where we get to see how much these teams do take it to heart. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime... One one final thing,
1: because Please. you kind of shrugged, shrugged this point off that I made yesterday. So Fnatic yesterday, after six games, controlled sixty one percent of jungle CS mm-hmm. total jungle CS. Okay, that number dropped, but because of an uh, you know increasing the number of games, they control fifty eight and a half percent of all the jungle CS on the map. Uh, Edward Gaming's also dropped from fifty four and a half down to fifty two. So both, both teams went down 3% over three games, but it just showed that Fnatic's dominance in the jungle uh, re- you know, continued on into the, the Edward game series. So yeah, well, I, mean, I, I think that's kind of, kind of <laughs> pertinent here too.
0: Well, I mean it's one of those things where if you're getting kills, then yeah, the jungle is going to be open. That, that works out pretty well, it turns out. Uh, you don't need to be some brilliant counter jungler with all these really interesting routes in if there's no one there to stop you because they're all dead. And that's uh, and that was fanatic strategy, and it worked out really well. So. The,
1: the Alistar invade onto the Red Buff. Oh, that was so <laughs> it cost good. The custom exhaust and flash. That was so good. But um, to be fair, it did it put them behind. It put it, uh, it put Edward behind to the point that they. Uh, they, didn't ba- like, they weren't able to bounce the wave correctly. Uh, it, I thought it was very kind of funny that Fnatic bounced it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And when Edward tried to bounce it, there was still like five ranged minions sitting there. Yeah. That Carl is like, crap, now it's going to push. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean. So I just, I just thought that was kind of funny. A very very Yellow Star-esque play.
0: It was very funny. You know what's even funnier? Uh, the Unicoin Challenge right now. Now, Walter, you unfortunately slept a little bit too late. Yeah. You did not get to make any bets. Nope. Now, I, I bet on everything that I said I was going to bet on yesterday. <laughs> I Actually, I backed my own opinion up, which, again, I, I cannot win in any of this. But, okay, but it, it didn't work out as badly as you would think. I picked EDG. I put 20 on the head-to-head. That obviously lost. But I put 50 on Fnatic plus one and a half, which obviously won. Right. I also put 15 on Fnatic winning map one because I thought blue side – that was just too nice to put in. So that was a win. I also put 25 on over four and a half maps because I thought this was a five-game series in which Fnatic won game one, lost uh, to EDG overall, and, uh, and all those bets were going to come through. That was the theory. With all of the profits said and done, mm-hmm. your lead has increased by 2.75 <laughs> unicorns by doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> To, to be fair, if I would have gambled, I would have gambled on the Game 1 victory.
1: Uh-huh. I would have gambled on Fnatic winning. Uh-huh. I would have gambled on uh, Fnatic at plus one and a half. And I would have gambled, gambled on five games.
0: Yeah. So So you would have I, I, I could won. have expanded my lead. You could have expanded the lead. But you still did. Just not as much as you could have. <laughs> um, and so, so we, we've got that going for us. Uh, unfortunately, my charity, Nothing But Nets, uh, which is a charity that goes to give underprivileged families in Africa – who, are, uh, you know, who need those nets because it's really hard to get vaccines for malaria and everything out there. It's really expensive, especially for some of these poor villages. The nets keep the mosquitoes away. These families are safe. They get to be malaria-free, which is wonderful. And it's only $10 to save a whole family with one of those crazy nets, which is just wonderful as far as bang for your buck for a charity goes. Now, Walter, your charity's got to be feeling great because I'm just hurting myself even when you're not able to be there.
1: Sometimes doing nothing is the best course of action when trying to win a gambling competition. However, doing nothing is not the best course of action uh, when it comes to uh, raising awareness for, for mental health issues mm-hmm. uh, such as depression and suicidal thoughts, which is what my charity, To Write Love on Her Arms, does uh, paired up with uh, celebrities and mus- uh, musicians uh, to during co- to host concerts. They've hosted uh, YouTube uh, marathons where YouTube – uh, people have just like streamed for like 24 hours or have done special contests uh athletes have been involved in it it's a really great charity for a very very good cause so uh even though i screwed up and, and didn't actually hold up my end of the the, the bargain by gambling today I, i'm still glad that it didn't punish me too hard
0: yeah no i think uh i think uh, to write love on a arms is gonna be pretty happy for you right now <laughs> um just as we would be happy if you you know, gave money to any of these charities. Uh, and thanks to Unicorn once again for uh, putting up the $100 to whichever one of us pulls off that challenge because that's a really cool thing for them to do. Uh, we've got to get into tomorrow's game, which is between KT and KU. We haven't had a series go five yet. The last time these two teams met, it did go to five games, but things have kind of changed since then. Walter, when you look at how the patches changed since the last time we saw these guys go in a best of five... Which team do you think benefits more from this kind of situation?
1: Uh, I think uh, KT. I think it makes their top laner all that much stronger. And I think Someday is a much better player than than Smeb. Mm A little bit higher kill participation, definitely a higher KDA. Someday is just a much safer laner. And I think Smeb can kind of be abused during the laning phase um, Mm -hmm. by a better top laner. Uh, Let's not forget, Smeb had trouble against Stake stake yeah who is not considered a top tier top laner he was not even considered all that strong of a laner but stake was giving SMEB problems uh Nagme is is an upgrade uh, is probably a little bit better version of kuro where they're, they're these very safe kind of utility laners uh score i think has played much much better than hojin mm-hmm. and uh arrow arrow and uh and pickaboo versus gorilla and prey i think is a little bit better because uh Peekaboo is a much better roamer, and Gorilla is not, like, he's not someone that also, he's not someone that wants to sit in lane either. They're both very heavy roaming supports, but I just think Peekaboo has a, a bit of an advantage in that he's a little more efficient, and he uh, controls vision a lot better.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, let's, let's talk about a couple of these matchups more specifically. Uh, you, you already touched a bit on Sunday versus Smeb. Now, Smeb is considered to be a very good top laner. Going into this tournament, people had a lot of faith in him. I am Katavice, we were already singing his praises, and he seems to have gotten better in a lot of ways since then. But you were touching on some of the problems he had in this group stage. What are some of the things you're noticing about Smeb that have kind of fallen off recently that you think someday is more likely uh, to take advantage of here?
1: I, I just think lane on lane, he's not he, – he doesn't trade very well. He's not very smart with his, his trades. Um, you know, he, he was trying to trade heavily into Stake, who played Darius. I think both games against them, but then would stand in, the, in the in the path of the the axe, and you know, Stake would just heal himself back up uh i don't think he's very uh intelligent in his use of tps he tends to waste a lot of tps going back into top lane uh just to get a couple of extra cs and then two minutes later his team is trying to contest dragon and he has to run down uh giving the enemy team the ability to either kind of kite the dragon out for you know stretch out the team fight and allow their top laner to take top tower or have the top laner just instantly teleport down and he's still there before smeb mm-hmm. uh Beyond that, I think Smeb is very good at, at prioritizing CS in lane. Um, he, you know, has had a, a CS lead uh, of uh, eleven CS on average at ten minutes and a five hundred and sixty two gold advantage at ten minutes. But he doesn't deal. He, he wasn't playing against as good a top laners as as someday, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, that's you know that's he's sem- playing against stake. He was playing against uh, Milan and he's playing against Zion Spartan. Where someday at least, you know, he had Dyrus, he had Soaz, and he had Acorn and Flame, which I, I think is a little bit better uh legacy wise, if not straight up.
0: Yeah, I think that playing against, I think beating Soaz like someday did as as thoroughly as someday did in that game too, is much more impressive than any of the guys that Smeb was able to beat up on. And honestly, if you look at just the averages like steak is such a weak laner in the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's only ahead by like 10 CS is kind of, is kind of a big deal. Like steak was minus 17. So he was worse than what you would expect the average top laner that steak was going up against to do. And it's not like Zion and, and were blowing people away now at the same time, you know, TPs are one of those things where, That's something that you can really benefit with a week of practice time. That's something where if you look at Group A, they finished before everyone else. They have been scrimming more often than everyone else because they've had that extra free time. They've had time to to iron out some of these team details. That's something where I'm going to be very interested to see how the Koo Tigers try to to shore up some of those miscommunications. Because with teleports, it's it's very easy to blame the person who's teleporting in it's very difficult to isolate who's making the call of when someone should teleport. Teleports Mm -hmm. are always a team play. And whatever end of which that's going wrong, that needs to be sorted out. Now, you also said score you thought was more impressive than Hojin so far. Hojin obviously had a couple great Lee Sin games early in the group. Mm -hmm. But it did seem like he fell off, and was there anything you can really point to as to as to why Hojin started falling off, especially as the group stage continued on? I, I would just say Hojin is
1: really, really reliant on having Lee Sin. Mm-hmm. Um, his other champions are not nearly as good as Score, and Score has proven that he can play Gragas, he can play Rexai, he can play Lee, um, he can play Lee Sin, he can play evelyn I, I'm just not so sure about Hojin's champion pool and again he was against very very weak junglers in his group Mm uh you know uh, maybe without you know maybe kind of including karsa as a semi-decent jungler but they had a lot of trouble uh establishing this kind of map pressure uh other thing to consider is that ku tigers only held held a 50 percent control over uh total jungle uh, CS KT Rolster at a 53%. Uh, KT Rollster also warded at a much, much higher rate at 4.26 wards a minute compared to Ku Tigers uh, 3.5 and uh two tenths of a ward clear per minute higher as well than Ku Tigers higher ward clear percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, high first dragon rates uh, went in favor of Ku, but just again, they were in a weaker group. Um, I, I don't know, I you know i just think that score played a lot better and had a lot better control over the over the jungle
0: yeah it says a lot that in a group in which you know ku was warding a significant amount more than you would expect especially in the early game yeah because that was their strategy to keep down karza you would expect their ward numbers to be significantly high yeah and and they weren't they were you know they're fine they weren't bad ward numbers but those two games should skew the average up, and and it doesn't. It, it keeps them at distinctly average. Whereas KT, their ward usage has been so integral to how they succeed as a team. Not just Ward's place, but Ward's cleared as well. They have this tremendous vision, especially around the dragon and around those kinds of bush areas that allow them to get those ganks. And the only time we've seen them fall in this tournament is when Origin exploited that and then got to sneak a Baron, which... Honestly, that's not something I think Ku is really either capable of or really is in their playset. They're not that kind of, you know, super risky, aggressive team. They want to, you know, both of these teams are teams that want to get a lead and stick with it. Mm-hmm. And so far, KT has been far, you know, I shouldn't say far better, but they've been significantly better at doing the things that usually lead to that happening. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess the the one matchup that we really need to talk about. Is, uh, is Nagne versus Kuro. Because obviously, you know, Prey and Gorilla, as you said, you know, versus Pickaboo and Arrow. These are these are lanes that should go kind of close to even. Pickaboo is a slightly mm-hmm. better roaming support. Uh, Prey should be a slightly better AD carry if they play the way that we saw them play throughout the regular season. I think that right. is, is very close just from a 2v2 perspective and it really depends on whether Prey can get his Ash or some of his other utility mm-hmm. AD carries to, to make the most out of it. But you have Nogne, who a lot of people would say underperformed so far at this tournament. Mm-hmm. And you have Kuro, who just didn't look very good compared to some of the other mid laners that we saw, and in fact got outplayed by Maple in the two series that they had against the Flash Wolves. Which of these two mid-laners do you think is more likely to bounce back in the series?
1: Whichever one expanded their champion pool beyond Victor and Azir.
0: <laughs> that seems fair. Could you... I, I, I think
1: I think Nagne, uh, Nagne probably has a bit of an advantage because he's also a, a fairly decent LeBlanc player and a fairly good assassin player. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one way that KT can kind of abuse... Uh, Abuse Kuro is, is, you know, get rid of the Azir, make him go on to victor, and allow Nagne to just kind of play LeBlanc and try and style on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what it comes down to, is what what person expanded their their champion pools so that uh, they can play something beyond the control mages.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, right? You look at Nagne, and, you know, he has wins on, uh, on the Lulu. He has mm-hmm. that Diana game, which worked out very well. He, as you said, he plays a very good LeBlanc. Uh, these are all things that are going to work out very well. When you look at at uh, at Kuro and the champions that he played in the LCK summer season, there's a little bit of Lulu, but he wasn't particularly good at it. Right. Uh, Victor was his his most played and best win rate, but Victor's not been and Victor hasn't proven to be the game changing mid laner that people mm. maybe thought he would be at the beginning of the tournament. Right. Uh, his Azir was not particularly good. It's at a whole twenty percent across his career after mm. you know a win in this tournament. Varus mid isn't really a thing anymore. Right. Cassidy, which hasn't proven to be all that effective so far. You know, maybe you see the Twisted Fate. I think that's something that, you know, Kuro probably could do.
1: But twisted Fate and Vagar are probably the two that he'll go to.
0: You would have to think, but I, I don't know how good his Vagar is. That's... Uh, it, it's a possibility, but it's it's something that they will have really had to practice because, as far as I can tell, it seems like the Vagar was a pocket NA pick mostly yeah and we haven't seen a lot of it and we haven't seen any of it in the quarterfinals i mean no one's even you know no one's picked and no one's banned it. it's not no, I really thought... a priority anymore i don't think
1: it was played today game two edg uh pawn, pawn played it in game two I... I know so... that for a fact because i remember the triple kill that yeah the triple kill that forbivin got in bot lane, uh, he hit a, a double stun on, on to Rainover and Fabivin. That's what got the kill onto uh, Rainover. So yeah, yeah, we've seen we've seen it once in the
0: quarterfinals. okay, you're you're right. I, for whatever reason, my notes. What did I what did I actually write for game two? I wrote <laughs> no triple TP, please. I forgot to write down the mid laner in that game. I'm really smart with my notes. Vigar was played once. Oh, it was
1: mid lane Teemo. Just so you know, it was
0: mid lane Teemo. (laughs) Let's talk about the mid lane Teemo that Pawn played today. (laughs) Hashtag the dream. But yeah, no, but I mean, and and look at, you know, that Vigar, it it had a play. But it wasn't particularly effective in the long run. And that's the thing. I, I don't know how good that pick really is. I think the only way that pick truly works is if, people don't remember how to play against it, and they keep falling into that AoE stun, mm-hmm. which has enough of a delay now where the best teams are going to get out of it.
1: You just hope that the enemy Tom Kench doesn't build a second item QSS, is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be the interesting thing. Is I, I, The one thing we haven't talked about is which of these two teams is going to pick up the Tom Kench and really play it well. We've seen... Uh, I, I See, now you're making me second-guess everything, I believe, about who's played what. I do not believe we have seen the Ku Tigers. They had one Tom Kench game against CLG, but it wasn't particularly tested because CLG was so thoroughly dominated in that game. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen... He, he made a couple of good plays, but it wasn't anything we had to see, you know. It it wasn't the thing that turned the game or turned fights around. We have not seen it on Peekaboo. It doesn't feel like a very Peekaboo-style support. Do you think this is the kind of situation in which... You know, Peekaboo will kind of have to prove that he's capable of of finding the counter to that pick. Or do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think so. I up? I think I think if KT
1: bans it in the first game because they'll be blue side, mm-hmm. uh, it'll tell you whether Peekaboo has learned champion or not. Hmm. I think that's what you're looking for. Is if there is a ban, uh, then yes. Then, then no. Then no. Peek-A-Boo, Peek-A-Boo will not be playing that champion unless it's maybe a long term bait. But mm-hmm. who knows? I I don't think it's a Peekaboo champion though.
0: It, it is interesting because it's it's so good on Rome's. So you'd think, it's to some degree, maybe Pickaboo could do it. But you're right; it's not. It, it has more of these kind of engaged tactics than he's usually. He's he's mm-hmm. much better with the with the jonas and, and those kind of things. And jana is one of those things that we talked about yesterday as a potential counter to the Tom Kench. Right. And his jana might be the best in the world right now. So that's a good sign if that counter is a real thing. And I'm sure it's probably going to be tested at some point mm-hmm. in this best of five, especially when they're on red side and you just have so many fewer bands. Yeah. All of this said, where do we think the line is?
1: KT Rolster minus minus two hundred.
0: Okay, you get this one. Yeah, <sighs> we're going to be tied for the week. We're once again. We've been we've been tying every week so far. We've got three games left. So unless we push. There will be a winner at the end of this. Whew. Someone's profile picture is going down, but it's going to come to the wire. I said minus one seventy. It is minus two twenty-seven. That puts the Koo Tigers at plus plus one eighty. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I just, I think this is a three-one for KT. I'm just going to say that right now. I think KT is basically everything Koo wants to be, except slightly better across the board. I I agree three-one. And I don't think it goes to five. And it's it's going to be really it, it's, it sucks because I I want there to be a five game series it almost feels like you know a proper quarterfinals needs to have one go to five games <laughs> but <laughs> I mean EDG let us down boys EDG really did EDG let a lot of people down let's be fair EG, EDG screwed the pooch it's uh it's just it's an interesting series and it's got some interesting prop bets this is where you have to kind of decide where you think your value is uh, KT winning map one minus one sixty one not bad not great. Not bad. Uh, not, winning That's map. not tremendous. Yeah, it's not tremendous. But Ku winning map one. If you think that maybe Ku has some secret red side strat, uh, plus 130. Uh, the Try. over 4.5 maps played. If you think this is going to be closer uh, than we have indicated, that you think they can go to five again like they did the last time they played, uh, that is plus 185. Uh, the under is minus 233. If you think KT wins this 3-0... That is plus 300 mm-hmm. with the minus two and a half handicap there. The minus one and a half handicap, so a 3 1 or better from KT, which is the one I'm looking at, plus 100, which I think is pretty tantalizing. Mm-hmm. It's basically whatever whatever you're putting in, you're going to get that back, which is pretty, quite nice. Ku, um, plus two and a half, if you think they at least win one game, that's mm-hmm. minus 400. Uh, I- if you think they win. At least two games at the plus one and a half, it is minus 125. So you Coup believers who are listening to this and saying, oh, they're they're leaving out all these things. Oh, is going to have the great comeback, whatever. That's the line where if you're not that's... convinced, it's it's there. Hmm.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's Those in- are
1: interesting lines.
0: It's, it's very interesting. And I'm going to have to... To really think about where I want to go on this. A, because I need to come back because I'm down 224 unicorns in this challenge. <laughs> but, but also because I, I think this is one of those games that could go either way. Uh, and there's one thing I, that we talked about in, uh, a little bit earlier today that I want to I wrap up on, which is picks and bans. Because I think these are two Korean teams. I think these are going to be some of the better picks and bans we've seen in the quarterfinals. Here's my question to you, Walter. Do you think there is a first pick Rek'Sai in this best of five tomorrow? Can can we put an end to that? Not
1: Rek'Sai. I I would not say Rek'Sai at all. I think Elise might be highly prioritized
0: here. Well, yeah, and Elise has been prioritized as a general rule, but we saw first pick Rek'Sai in all three of these games today, which I just, I I thought was weird. I'm not totally
1: against it. It's a very, it's very safe. It doesn't give up anything about your composition. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I think it's kind of some a little bit of gamesmanship where they just understand that after like the top top tier picks, every kind of character that's right underneath there has some, some viable uh, counter picks and has some uh counterplay. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with what they did in terms of the Rek'Sai, but you just have to know that when you make that trade off, that you're okay. I'm taking the safe top laner, or I'm taking the safe jungler that doesn't give up anything about my strategy. You have to then be ready with a strategy to counter the, you know, the, the picks that they get.
0: Yeah.
1: So I, I thought that was what EDG EDG's problem was was they weren't reacting to what Fnatic was picking. Mm-hmm. Not that they first picked uh, that. Not that they first picked Rek'sai.
0: Yeah, no, and, and, and for the record, Fnatic first picked Rexite twice. I like it in game one to a certain extent because it allows the enemy team to play their hand first. Right. But in that game three, if I'm Fnatic, I first pick Tom Kench and I call it a day. Like they huh. had, like EDG had no answer to it. I I don't I don't I don't see what's going to change in that bot lane that says Tom Kench is not going to to work out really really well. And, and what's EDG going to do? I. It doesn't give away anything about your composition. Any you know bot laner could play with Tom Kench. Yeah, as, that, know, that's true. I, I just think. Right I just think that they're afraid.
1: So if you're playing Tom Kench, you don't want to have a utility AD carry. You want to have a hard a hard carry AD carry. And I think if they took Tom Kench, EDG would have taken Rexai and Jinx.
0: Okay, but then you still have Tristana or Kogma or you know any other number of.
1: Trissana and, and Kog'Maw are not reckless champions. Jinx is the only one of those that is actually a reckless champion. He could have played Vayne. Vayne probably Vayne. would have been his second option, but that wasn't the playstyle that they wanted. They didn't want to throw so much into the reckless basket. Especially when you can't have... a, a like That basically forces Forbidden to play Orianna. That's, that's, and you don't you don't want to do that. I, I guess Azir is decent in that situation, but I I just don't think that first picking the Tom Ketch is smart when uh when Jinx is really the only hard carry like late game carry that Reckless plays that's smart to pick in this meta.
0: I guess that's fair. I, I, I think Tom Ketch is a little bit more versatile than, than just that, just in in terms of what he's able to do across the map and some of those those plays we've seen, just saving even if mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, just for a mid to late game team fighting, saving the, the AP carry, you know, like a, a, like a LeBlanc that we saw in a game two or whatever. I think there's a lot no. of utility you can get from Tom Kench oh, oh, across a- the board, even if you don't pick the Jinx. And like I said, we haven't really seen a counter to Tom Kench. The only counter we've seen to Tom Kench is a team that doesn't play Tom Kench very well. <laughs> so I, I want somebody to, to beat that champion. And that's why I'm really hoping tomorrow that Tom Kench is a thing that, uh, that Ku throws out there and KT and Pickaboo show how to beat it. Because we have not seen that map yet, and that's the one pick at this tournament that I still feel uh, I, I really need that to develop.
1: I don't think it's very likely we'll see Tom Kench at all tomorrow. I don't think either of them actually really play it well. That's fair. I, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of maybe Alistar
0: and Janna. I think that's probably where they'll go to. It'll be interesting to see. There are a lot of There are a lot of questions up in the air. Uh, we've had two, three O's back to back. Hopefully we don't have a, a third, but regardless <laughs> of how tomorrow goes, the one thing that you guys can count on is that there will be another episode of this podcast, 5 PM PSD on Unicorn as it always is. Uh, you know, you guys can, can, you know, hopefully you guys are, are going to the actual Unicorn site. I know a couple of you guys are still coming in from Podomatic because that's where all of our podcasts have been for forever, <laughs> but go to the Unicorn site. I do like all write-ups and everything. I write a couple you know, really cool paragraphs summarizing things, talking about overarching themes of the day. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. You'd like it. I promise. Um, so, <laughs> so go check that out. Uh, and and talk to us on Twitter because uh, we are always tweeting during the games. Uh, we like to think we're pretty entertaining. At the very least, you can talk to us about what you're thinking, how you uh, – what do you think about this podcast and, and where do you think these games are going to go. Walter – where can they find you on Twitter?
1: Uh, you can find me at C80s underscore lol. I really want to hear your gambling stories about how you were the only person to bet on Bangkok Titans over SKT.
0: <laughs> I would love to hear any of those stories as well. <laughs> I, uh, I am an at redshirt king, so please come say hi. Please share this podcast with your friends if you like what we're doing here. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. And also, I can finally say thanks to uh, development from yesterday – There is news coming up. I'm going to announce this tomorrow. So make sure you come back if you want to hear the big story because everything will be confirmed then. It's very exciting. And until then, goodbye, Internet.